0: Hi hey guys, I'm Jen, owner of Jen Davis Design. And I'm Giselle, owner of Wander Design Co. We're so excited to welcome you to Better, a
1: brand designer podcast. We have open and honest discussions about what it's really like to run a design business. Diving into the stuff you just don't see on Instagram. We're all about giving you actionable
0: advice and fostering a supportive community of the co-workers you're missing.
1: Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. guys welcome back to better the brand designer podcast we cannot believe it is finally the last episode of season two how crazy is that we, we launched this in Ooh. october of last year and now we're already finishing up our second season so we are pumped to be hanging out with you guys whatever you're doing today so intro question time we often hear from our listeners, how helpful this podcast has been for them. Um, we know you guys learn a lot. We learn a lot from you. Our intro question is, what is one thing that the Better better the Brand Designer podcast has taught you? Not, not only has this podcast taught me about the number of brand designers that are out there and the number of people who are interested in brand design, but also just the quality of the people in our industry has completely blown me away. Um, I definitely started out being a brand designer thinking that everyone was just way better than me. And like, I like, how dare I, you know, try to break into this industry that already felt super, super saturated. And one thing that I've really taken away from this podcast, our community, Listening to all the guests is that even though there are so many of us, there is truly room for everyone and everyone just like wants to celebrate the successes of our peers in our industry. And I think that's something that's really unique to us. I, I don't know if it's unique to design as a whole, but I think with brand design specifically, that's something that's really surprised me. And it's definitely a big takeaway that I've had from creating this content for you guys.
0: That is so beautiful, Jen. I love that answer. Oh,
1: thanks. I know I'm fluffy. <laughs> I love it so much. I'm fluffy. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I 100% agree with you. I think that's one thing that the this podcast has taught me is how amazing our community is. And the fact that you and i created this because we thought hey we're like two lonely designers working from home <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like if one other lonely designer can benefit from listening to our conversation and then it turns out that like there's tons of people that resonate and like we hear all these messages and it's so heartwarming to hear that that we are creating a community where a community was long overdue.
1: I know it's, it, it's crazy that we ended up being the people to do that. You know, I feel like if it wasn't us, it would definitely be someone, but, and you know, that's not to say there's not going to be another, you know, brand designer podcast and community out there. I mean, there's more than enough room for everyone, but I I truly feel just honored to be able to be in this position where I'm sharing the things that I'm learning with you guys in real time. You know, I always talk about how I have these yeah. breakthrough moments every podcast, and that's 100% true. And so I'm just, I'm we, we are both blown away by just the support and the positivity and the willingness of you guys to open up in our group, um, to engage with us on social media, and to engage with each other. Like, seriously, we... Like freak out out of happiness when we see two people connect on our Facebook group. It's literally the best feeling (laughs) in the world. You guys have no idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Jen and I have a Slack. So we'll like Slack each other. Oh my gosh, did you see this? This is so awesome. I'm like, they made friends. (laughs)
1: This is so cute. (laughs) But seriously, we love it. So love fest moment for the podcast. We're going to get over with early. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that we would
0: have continued on with this if I mean, at first it was funny just doing it without having any, anybody to talk to really. And then once we started actually revealing this to the world and building the community, we, we could picture the people we're talking to. And that's super helpful as well. Yes. And just, you know, having Jen take over sometimes or having me take over sometimes, depending on our workloads has been super awesome. And I don't know the chemistry that we have, the fact that we get to hang out and like, look forward to that is also awesome. I
1: know. One of the biggest things that we hear from our, our listeners, and I'm so flattered by this feedback, is that people say they feel like we're their design friends and we feel like we're your design friends as well. We've had so many listeners reach out to us just one-on-one on our Instagram or even on our, our personal um, our Instagram pages for our businesses just, just to say, hey, you know, and we love that. I love that. I'm always the type of person that thinks that I'm bothering people when I do stuff like that. But like, guys, seriously, we love hearing from you. And that kind of leads us into our tradition for our final episode today. Um, We're going to do all inbox questions, which is super fun. I love Q&A style podcasts. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. We're going to try and get through as many as we possibly can. And uh, we're going to have a little fun with it. So Giselle, why don't you start us off?
0: Woohoo. So Sonia Nicole asks, how do you manage the information overload of all the things people say you should be doing versus what should you should actually be doing?
1: Oh, this is uh, this is something that I really struggle with. Um, I I definitely get information overload really easily, and sometimes I get it without knowing it. Um, and I think that's something that should we should really think about is the intentionality of allowing certain things through your filter and then keeping certain things outside of that filter, if that makes sense. So that might mean limiting your time on Instagram. It might mean you know devoting an hour a week to like going on your favorite design blogs or listening to your favorite design podcasts. Um, And then it also might mean kind of curating the list of people that you're getting that information from. So rather than just kind of following anyone who is a brand designer on Instagram, maybe you kind of Really make sure that the people that you're following have the same values, that they have the same goals for their business. You know, some people might be wanting to make a multi million dollar business. That might not be what your goal is. So, I, I think that my advice on this would be to kind of curate mm-hmm. down the, um, the amount of hours that you're absorbing information, but also the sources that you're getting that information from, because that will help you kind of align all of the stuff that you're taking in with the values that you have in your own business.
0: That is so well said. There's nothing else I can really add <laughs> to that, except just prioritizing as well. Like if you're confused as to what you should actually be doing, is ask yourself what is essential for my business right now for me to succeed, and then prioritize what you've been learning. Maybe write it down in a journal and say, "All right, number one thing I should focus on is this." And once you find the time, finding like the other things down the list.
1: So good. Do you want to ask the
0: next question?
1: Yes. Okay. Haley Smith asks. How do you work with indecisive clients who don't know what they want?
0: So the short answer is that I don't.
1: Yep. <laughs> and um,
0: the long answer is that most of the time I found that these indecisive clients, I can find out from the sales call, basically, that they're going to be hard to work with because if they're indecisive at that moment, then they're going to be indecisive throughout the entire process and drag it out. And that's not to say that you're not going to find a solution for them. I'm sure you will. Uh, as I have but it's just the fact that it just becomes like a much longer process than I enjoy and that works with my schedule and things like that I just prefer not to so that's uh and kind of goes into the sales call and sussing out your clients to see who you actually
1: want to work with completely and I, I think that kind of figuring out those red flags sometimes it can be kind of difficult in the beginning but you'll learn from experience and um it's it's something that you just have to be really intuitive about. If you're getting kind of weird vibes, you know, if someone can't decide what package they want or, you know, they can't decide or if they, you know, if, if they want to do branding or if they want to do mini brand or if they, you know, like all of those little decisions that go into getting the client onboarded, like you know, like how they want to divide up their invoice or, or whatever it is, like all of those little things will lead, like it'll just show you the way that they experience um, service, you know, providers for their business and definitely something to pay attention to. Yeah.
0: And one of those red flags is when they want another call after the sales call. Mm. So they're like, yep. oh, I don't know. Can I get back to you? Can we have another call later? And then, you know, they still haven't even paid you and they already want another call. Anyway, Brianna Butler asks, how confident do you usually feel about the success of the end product?
1: Oh, Brianna, girl, girlfriend. I never feel confident when I send off something to a client. Honestly, like I can be super excited about something and then as soon as I hit send, after reading the email like 50 times working on that um i just have this crash of like oh my goodness it's not good enough she's going to hate it like i have all of these emotions that come flooding in and i think that that's something that's important that we talk about um as just as creatives you know like we so much of what we do is so tied up in our identity you know i definitely consider myself like an artist and a creator and just sending something off or even showing something in a facebook group to get feedback is always Really, really nerve wracking. So, my honest answer is that even though I'm extremely confident in my design skills, like I know I'm a good designer, I definitely get a little nervous whenever I send something off to a client. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that it's, again, something that takes practice. You need to work on um, that confidence. And I'm going to send it, I am happy with it. And we, like most of the time in my business, the refinements are minimal. And I just have to remember that. Yes well said again
0: and I agree Jen like I send something and I'm just like freaking out for a little while until I get the feedback and I'm just like oh my gosh what if they hate it no they're gonna love it they're gonna love it no but what if they hate it
1: and that's when <laughs> I send it to my designer friends like I'll get on slack with Giselle and be like hey just send this to a client now I'm gonna send it to you please give me good feedback <laughs> yeah so that actually kind of helps, you know, and I've actually seen people do that in our Facebook group. And I love I love I love doing that because that that period of waiting, you know, uh, it can be a little a little nerve wracking. So
0: and then figuring out like in terms of the success of the end product, let's say that, you know, the client has approved it and it's all ready to go and you're putting it on your portfolio and you're asking, how do you usually feel about the success? I would say just like referring back to your discovery phase or whatever phase you have before designing. And, and asking yourself, does this meet this goal? And kind of giving yourself your own audit based off of what you and the client initially had talked about and the direction that you decided on how well you nailed that.
1: So good. Yeah, that could be a whole episode in and of itself for sure. Um, okay, and, Andres Piombo asks, how do you find your niche and then how do you define it? Giselle, do you want to give us a real short answer on this one?
0: Yeah, so I think finding your niche you just look at the clients that you've enjoyed and the projects that you've enjoyed and what catches your eye. And, and then based off of that, start getting more into it, figuring out like, what are the words that these people use? Like what industries are they in or what size that their is at? Where are they located? Things like that.
1: Yeah. And I think also just to throw in, um, what are you passionate about? You know, because like mm-hmm. if you're niching down into something that like you don't even care about, then it's going to be apparent in all of the content that you create, all of your discovery calls, et cetera. So I think that also will really inform kind of where your niche is going to go.
0: Solani Mayer asks, how do you manage setting up all the processes and documents in the beginning?
1: Okay. Wow. Well, this one is meaty. Um, if you're talking about in the beginning of your business, like before you've ever had clients... I think that you do have a little bit more flexibility. I think the hardest part is just starting. I would recommend taking a course in brand design. I took branding with Bree. Giselle mm-hmm. took share with design course from um, Spruce Store Design. And um, they both include a lot of templates, processes, documents, swipe files, emails, t- like all of the things that you would need to kind of get started. That's how we both got started with our um, process and documents. And since then as both of our businesses have grown, we've kind of you know determined what works for us, what doesn't work for us. If there's a certain page in a template that like is confusing people, we take it out. We'll add something in. you know um, we'll just kind of customize it along the way. So just know that you' not you're not gonna know everything when you first start and the most important part is just starting and having something that you can kind of evaluate as you grow as a business.
0: Yes, exactly. And it's, it doesn't have to be excellent from the beginning. It's going to be kind of trial and error sometimes too. So just documenting something, putting in a few notes, let's say you're doing like a little process for how to market on Instagram, and then you write a few things. And then next week you write a few more things and clarify. So it's just about tweaking and clarifying as you go along. You don't have to do everything at once.
1: Mm -hmm. And that kind of takes the pressure off too, in the beginning. Elise Elliott asks, keeping things on brief, sometimes more often than not, clients don't actually know what they need. True, true. How can we ensure that we're providing what's best for their business while essentially staying on brief or staying within scope?
0: So with this one, I really go into um, the sales call and even the discovery call um, afterwards. I know that's kind of confusing for some of you. The discovery call for some of you is the sales call. So I'm just talking about the call before a deposit is paid and then the call after deposit is paid. And here is where we're talking about like, OK, you came to me for a logo design. But a recent example I gave was that they also could benefit with a pattern design so that they can make it easier for them to market and like make things look like their brand without having to pay for stock photography all the time and things like that. So um they come in telling me what they need and I listen and I ask more questions and more questions. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of like, oh, th- this would be a great place for us to add this and here to add that. So then I let them know, like, hey, you mentioned this, and I think this, you know, design product is going to help you. How does that sound? And um, because it, you know, they're coming to you as a you're the consultant. So they're gonna have that trust factor in you to like tell them what they need. Jen, is there anything for you to add?
1: No, I I I really couldn't have said it better myself. Giselle has a lot of experience, and um, Giselle just did a talk on this for the Simply Profitable Designer Summit. If you guys are interested, we'll link it to this episode. It's all about how to have a successful discovery slash sales call, um, and I think that it really goes back to you know those foundations and limits, and you know figuring out what they actually need on that call in the very beginning. Um, strong foundation, very important.
0: Carly Elaine asks, what are your favorite ways to keep clients on track with the timeline?
1: Ooh, okay. I think the answer to this is also very similar to what Giselle just talked about with the discovery call. Um, keeping clients on track, of course, you have to set expectations in the beginning. So that goes into you know, the discovery call um letting them know that my branding process usually takes, you know, x number of weeks. Like say 6 weeks. Mm-hmm. And this week we're going to be doing this. And this week we're going to be doing this. One of my favorite ways to kind of keep them on track with that is to have kind of due dates and expectations. And I actually am working with a client right now who responds really, really well to this. She's constantly asking me, hey, what are the next steps? What are my action items that I need to kind of keep this project moving forward? Again, not every client is going to be that, you know, kind of on top of things. So if you have a client that's not really as responsive, you can include things like in your email. In order to keep our, our, our timeline on track and deliver your final brand by X date, I would love to get your questionnaire by Monday at 9am, you know, make, be very, very mm-hmm. specific. And it might sound like, or it might feel like you're being too pushy with the client, but it actually, they just, they don't really know what, you know, what the process is like. They probably never worked with a designer before, you know? And so they'll appreciate it. You know, it's like, I hate to use this metaphor, but I'm going to use it anyways when you have a dog, the dog wants to know what it can do to please you. You know, most dogs don't just act out for, for no reason at all. Like dogs want to have like a strong leader to be able to look to, to, I mean, I'm not a dog trainer, but this is just my own experience with my own dog. Um, they, they want, they want to know that like you are in control and that you have, you know, an expectation of them to sit and then they'll get a treat or whatever. So I feel like I, the, Bear with me here, guys. but I feel like that kind of that metaphor kind of kind of it applies here. I, I really, I really do. I in, at least in my experience, clients want to know what you want from them. Think about what you would want to know if you're working with a service provider. You want to make their job easy, right? I feel like most people are like that. I love that metaphor by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Validating my metaphors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> clients invest in you, so they want to make sure that you know you're gonna do the best job. And stick to timeline, especially because I mean, how many times have you heard "I need this as soon as possible"? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you tell them and, and phrase it in that way, like "Hey, if you can, you give me feedback by this time, um, then we can proceed on to the design part, yay!" and like making it exciting and like kind of give them that incentive that if you stick to this timeline, then we're gonna chug along and get your brand by this date, if not earlier. Yes. So um, also having like a a, a schedule like a visual schedule so that they can see like each phase. Like I have one that's like per week. And then in each week, the parts like the brand discovery PDF and then brand discovery PDF approval by client. And then the, they all have their own little timeline or sorry, deadline. And people put that on Asana or Trello or ClickUp. Um, I stopped doing that, but uh, just having that PDF to share and referencing as well. So they, they're, they're not caught off guard. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be available for this time. Or I thought we were going to have it ready before this time. Like, well, now you can see that. How can we squeeze that in if we have to space these all out? Mm -hmm. And they understand that. So Alex Castro asks, how do you know what to include in a brand package? Is there a standard or is this more custom to the designer?
1: So this is something that's so personal to every single designer. I do think that there is kind of a standard um, in our industry. And when I say our industry, I'm not talking about like huge, like million dollar agencies that are doing branding for like Nike and stuff. I'm talking about like small business branding, um, the stuff that we talk about all the time. I do think that there is like a core, but I don't think it's just because of tradition or because it's industry standard. I think it's because it's what's most applicable to like what is going to make someone's brand succeed. And I mean, I'll just list them out really quick, like primary logo, secondary logo, maybe tertiary logo, if you need a different variation, logo marks, color palette, mood board. Um, and then you can get kind of creative from there. If you want to start adding some icon design, if, if iconography is, is a skill that you have, maybe pattern design, if they're a more product-based business, um, you can use your deliverables to customize your package to your client. Um, and that's going to end up with, you know, a little bit more success um, than if it was just like a one size fits all type of package. I definitely highly recommend customizing your packages to your clients. And that way, you know, you can have a set package price, but you can say most clients' packages include X deliverables. For you, I would recommend we would add two brand patterns and packaging design because you're a product-based business or, you know, you need a Shopify website versus a Squarespace website. And, you know, this is how it's going to vary in price. Um, So knowing what to include, again, goes back to just experience. I hate to use that as an answer for everything, but I I, I truly think that you just kind of have to pick something, start there, and then kind of learn along the way. Agreed. (laughs) Wonderful. Kelly Smith asks, I'm curious about charging differently depending on the client size and wondering how to determine the tiers and what you charge for each client. So
0: this is a really great opportunity for us to talk about value-based pricing. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, in short, is where you price projects based off of how much it means to the client. And um, I like to also add in like how much risk they want to avoid. So let's say you're working with the mom and pop shop and they need um, a new logo. Well, they aren't going to, they're only going to probably use their logo on if they're brick and mortar on their signage and a few business cards, maybe some marketing materials. um, And let's say that's it. And uh, so the the risk for them to have a logo that ends up not working for them and they have to take it down and make a new one is only going to be like, whatever they paid for it, um, for the end product, but also like the the design service, as opposed to, let's say you're making a new logo for target and think about all of the places that target has their logo, all of the, all of the places in the world that they're going to have to change their signage and everything like that. It's a high risk situation. So they're going to want to make sure that you do a good job and they hire somebody that can can do this job and make it less risky.
1: I think Olive Garden is still updating their new rebrand that happened like oh my five gosh. or 10 years ago. Like you'll see though, wow. if you guys know what I'm talking about, you'll see the old Olive Garden logo, which is like really detailed and intricate. Um, And then you'll see like the new kind of updated one where it's like more flat and like mobile friendly and everything. And some stores have it and some stores just don't yet. So this is like a 10 to 20, 30 year thing like that. Design agency that re- that did that um, Olive Garden rebrand is probably getting paid so much money. Oh yeah, like so, millions. Yeah, <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And and that that also reminds
0: me of like Paula Cher um, from Pentagram. She created the Citibank logo that we know today, and she created that in like five minutes. But she charged a million dollars for it,
1: mm-hmm. and it's
0: because like they are like a high profile bank and they didn't want to have a lot of risk. And they went to someone that was a consultant with like years of experience and told her like, even though it took me five minutes to make this logo, took me like 30 plus years to learn how to make this in five minutes, as well as like, this is like, I'm very confident that this is going to do well. And it's, and it has for like 10 plus years. So that's what we when we talk about value based pricing, that's what we're talking about.
1: Yes. I, I loved um Giselle actually sent me that article. I feel like it was last year when I, I I messaged her and I was like, Oh, I feel bad that I'm doing these really simple designs for clients when they're paying me so much money. Like I feel this sense of guilt around this. And Giselle sent me that story and we'll link it in the in the episode description. Um, like it's not about the number of hours that it takes you to do the logo design. It's about the value that you're providing to the client, and and whether that's like you, you determine how much more money they want they want to sell on their website, and then you take a cut of that, maybe you know five or ten percent, or you know you hit you get to that that number in a different way. Um, one person that I recommend if you guys are interested in learning more about value-based pricing is Morgan Ratt from October Inc. I'm actually taking her Shopify course right now. I highly recommend. Um, and she has a whole section in there teaching about how to, you know, broach the subject of value-based pricing, how to determine the rate that you're getting for the website and it's, it's truly like, it's, it's amazing. Um, And it's so much more than we could ever explain, you know, in this short bam, bam, bam um, question and answer format that we're doing. So highly recommend um, it's called Amplify Shopify. If any of you guys are interested and we'll, we'll link that uh, below as well. She does a lot of content around value-based pricing. So if you follow her on Instagram too, I'm sure she has some free trainings as well.
0: Awesome. Next question. Abby Artuso asks, how to instill confidence in your client That they've made the right decision hiring you. I think this goes with just the way you have your process, like you don't have to tell them, you have to show them. And actually last week, I sent off the uh, discovery document to um, one of my recent branding clients. And she replied with like, her first sentence was just reading this document over and over again, made me feel like this was the absolute right decision to hire you like I'm so excited that you're creating my brand and I was so excited to see that
1: I've never gotten feedback on that before you should take a screenshot of that and save it in your little like oh I did folder
0: in my little hype folder I love it (laughs) so yeah to just you know instill confidence by letting your client know that everything that you're doing is intentional and then proving it. So, you know, in the sales call telling them this is our process and we have this process because, you know, it it makes us very effective and efficient in what we do and it produ- it provides results that we have set or like goals that we've set from the beginning. And then as you provide each step of the process telling them like, "Hey, like I have the brand questionnaire for you now and this questionnaire allows us to figure out more about your brand, like get to know it and this and that. Then the next phase also explaining what the phase is, what the results you're hoping for from that phase and so on, like throughout the entire process. And again, like Jen and I had talked about us taking the um uh branding with Bree and the shareworthy design courses that have helped us create these processes. And I mean you can learn to make it yourself, but we're both very excited that we spent a month or two or so to learn it by somebody else and, um, adapt into our business and saved us a lot of time and guesswork, um, so that we can instill that confidence in our clients.
1: Yes. And I mean, my short answer to this is to just be confident in yourself as a designer. Um, that's something that we are both working on It's something that every designer, every creative out there is constantly working on. Um, but when you show up as the most confident version of yourself, whether or not that's the way you always show up in the world, but when you're on a sales call, put on that confidence mask. You know, put on your glasses, put on some lipstick, whatever it is that makes you feel the most <laughs> confident in yourself, and that is going to bleed over into them. Because think about it: if you if the the tables were turned, you know, and you're interviewing a photographer or whatever, and you hear them say like, "Oh, you know," like maybe we could do this location, I guess, like rather than this is the process that I worked with all of my clients on. We're going to go and shoot at these, this, list, and this locations, because I know that's going to be perfect for your brand. Um, you know, and like, you're going to love your photos. Like how much more confident do you feel in them just based off of the way that they talk to you on the phone? So, um, that's my little two cents. Okay. Sherry West Holly asks, how do I measure the success of a branding or rebrand project? Any suggestion on metrics or analytics, or is it just social proof? This is a great question because testimonials are everything. Referrals are everything in the branding world. Um, Branding is so, so personal. Um, It's intimate. People want to work with someone that they know is going to do a good job. So, one thing that you can do when you're offboarding is you can fill you can have your clients fill out a little testimonial form. Most of us probably do this. And then a year later or 6 months later, maybe think about instituting a follow up with that client to kind of gauge their happiness with the brand, um, seeing what changes or growth they've experienced in their business since you've worked with them. There is unfortunately no way to determine whether or not it really was the brand that grew their business. But I don't think there's anything wrong with sharing on your website that you you did a brand for X client. Within the next six months, they made X amount of dollars percent or X percent more in their business than they had made before working with you. Um, you're not claiming that it was your logo that brought in a million dollars, you know, um, because maybe it was other factors. We're not doing like a scientific experiment on this, but um, I think that can be really, really valuable. And those are the kinds of things that I look for um, on other service providers' websites when I'm kind of checking them out um, for services for my business. Um, yeah, social proof. It's It really it's one of those things that's very it can be it could come from any direction, if that makes sense. It's also like going
0: off of with what you said, Jen, one of my clients or a few of my clients, I guess, have told me that they felt more confident selling after their brand identity with me. So it's almost like they felt like they were being held back by their previous brand. And now they can like fully embrace who they are in full confidence and get out into the world and market and do all of these things. So, you know, ask, asking a client, like how do you feel after your brand identity? Like, let's say like two months, three months, six months later, and capturing that feeling um, from the client, because that's mostly like the pain point that you're aiming at for clients that you want to attract, right? It's people that don't feel confident selling. They feel like they outgrew their brand Like all of these things, like answer that with these testimonials and these social proof. Like it doesn't have to be measurable. Um, But, you know, there are some ways to make it measurable. You just have to think about like what were the goals at the beginning. Um, It's more easy to do that with websites, for example. But like Jen said, it's really hard to measure like what it's actually like directly related to the branding. Yes. Um, So for the next question, Nadia Butterworth asks, how to decide whether to do text only at an element and how to convince the client if it's the right direction.
1: Okay, so the age-old question of typographic or illustration. I feel like that is a huge (laughs) kind of like fork in the road when you're starting off to design a brand, at least it is for me. Um, Does the client want something just purely typographic or is there some kind of illustration or icon or element that they want added in there? I will straight up ask people in my creative direction call, which is the first call I have with them after they've booked me, Do you picture your brand being typographic, meaning only a font, or do you picture some kind of logo, like little icon element illustration? And most of the time they will have an answer for you. If they say, Really, I don't care either way, then that kind of gives you the leeway to explore in multiple directions. But if they say, Mm -hmm. you know, an answer where they're like, Yeah, I definitely want like this intricate illustration, and you feel like it's not the right direction for them, that is the moment where you put your foot down and you step into that creative director role and you say, hey, I totally respect that you want this really intricate illustration or you really like this other person's brand. Let's talk about why you want that and how we could maybe, you know, determine a, a direction that works for your brand. This, this will also kind of help once you've done the brand strategy, um, you've, d- you've dived into their values, etc. So you can reference those things. And the second part of the question, yeah. how to convince the client it's the right direction or the right decision like you just like like we just said be confident in it um, you're the designer you are the creative director um, you're the consultant that's something Giselle says all the time be the consultant and just always go back and reference that brand strategy that you made at the beginning um, have that really strong foundational process um, and rather than you know just convincing them that's like oh well this is the best design decision because it's pretty like you will have those strategic, Sentences and buzzwords, or whatever you want to call them, to go back to to say, "Hey, remember how you said you wanted your brand to feel more tranquil and peaceful? That's why I made that decision to make your font really thin, or to include this really like um, simple icon. Because if we went a little bit more, you know, complicated with it, it might not have that feel that we're trying to go for." Um, that was just a little example, like role playing of a, you know a client that <laughs> I think um, always going back to the brand strategy. Um, super, super important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in addition to what you said, Jen, for me, we do it on the onboarding questionnaire. I have a little chart that says um, for any, uh, do you have any logo preferences? And then there's like little checkmark list and there's, you know, all of those decisions there and they can click it. But I also say this doesn't mean that you're selecting what you're going to end up with. It's just for me to, um, to like, understand what your vision is and then provide something even better for you. So with that in mind, like that, you're like, they don't also don't feel like they're just signing up for a template.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, always good to keep your avenues open. Um, but it is good to know like whether or not the client like really, really want like they really wanted an illustration or something. It's like it's better to know in the beginning than to like yeah, yeah, present them something sure. typographic and then have them be like, oh, I thought a logo had an illustration in it. And you're like, well, not all of yep. it. you know, so uh, always yes, good to be upfront yeah. and set your boundaries at the beginning. Yeah. So Don O'Neill asks, how do you get clients when you're an introvert? I'm not very salesy, so I feel like I might be missing out on potential work. Giselle, do you want, as our resident introvert? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you guys haven't noticed, (laughs) I'm the introvert.
0: And um, the way that I like to get clients is I, I'm actually an extroverted introvert. So I can like be very bubbly and like friendly at the beginning, but then there's a point where like my my energy just zaps and I need to be alone for a while. And um, with that said, like I've done networking events and I'm very comfortable with that now. It's it's good to, as an introvert, to like kind of build up these places where you feel very uncomfortable and stepping out of your comfort zone um, to become an extroverted introvert like me <laughs> <laughs> and many others that I admire. But if you are just at that introvert level where you just hate networking events and um you know, things like that, then I recommend doing content marketing. And that's when, you know, you get to like do as much work as you want and provide value, like free value for clients and opening up so that people understand, like know you a little bit more as a business owner, what your values are, what you stand for, um, the things that you aspire to become. All of those things are very attractive ways to get clients and being consistent with that. So showing up for your people, whether it's on Instagram, on Facebook, whatever platform you prefer to use. Um whatever platform you prefer, just choose that platform and love it and it will love you back. So, um one of the one of the ones that I really like for content marketing is Pinterest. So, look into that and see how um, you can utilize that for your uh marketing, like networking and ways to get clients.
1: Yes, 100% agree. I mean, even as an extrovert, I I feel like Sometimes you just are not in the mood to be salesy, and you have to remember that mm. being true to yourself and authentic to your own business values are gonna. That's gonna shine through more than forcing yourself to step into a role that you're not comfortable or confident in. Um, so yeah, you know, you might really connect with someone who is also introverted and feels uncomfortable being on the other side of a sales call, and by saying even you know if you're just opening up in the beginning be like, hey. I am an introvert and, you know, sales calls are, you know, not my favorite thing, but I really just want to get to know you. I want to get to know your business. Think of this as just a really casual phone call pressures off. We'll talk about pricing, but you know, I really want to just get to know you, like just being honest and just, you know, and opening up, if you feel that that's the right way to kind of handle that phone call, I think is, uh, it's going to go a long way. Just, just being true to yourself, being authentic. Um, the word authentic is just so overused, but just being real. Um, I I definitely think that that is, is huge. Um, so don't force yourself into something that you're not comfortable with. Um, and you'll get there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well said Jen. Thank you. And that wraps up our inbox questions for this episode and our season finale for season two. I can't believe we're here. I'm so
1: (laughs) proud of us. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is so amazing. I'm very
0: proud of everybody. And thank you all so much for all of the support, all of the shares, all of the messages you've sent us. And um, we just hope that you continue to support each other and keep sending those questions to us. We have some exciting things working. For one, our resources guide is now out on our (laughs) website. It's live. It's a little tab in there called resources and we have all of our favorite well not all of them because that would be completely overwhelming i know (laughs) (laughs) some of our favorite uh places courses websites mock-ups everything like some books creative market favorites (laughs) you name it we have we probably have it there and if not then we probably will be adding to that And some of those are affiliate links to help us with our costs, with our hosting and with our editor and just to show your support for us that you want to see more episodes coming from us. Yes. So thank you so much for all of your support.
1: Yes, it's it truly means the world to us. We could talk about how much we love you guys for forever. And that is something actually we wanted to celebrate here. We, um, Our number of members in our Facebook group today has just reached over 600, which is crazy. Woo. When we first started, we were like, <laughs> is nice. anyone going to join? Like, does anyone care? Does, do people yeah. need this? <laughs> and people join, people care. And yes, they do need it. And that's something that has been so amazing to see just kind of grow grow. I mean, just beyond like what we in initially intentioned um or even thought was possible for for the better brand. And um, we're not even a year into this and we really have some big plans and we're we're so excited to continue just providing this free content to you guys and connecting and all of that. So Let's finish up our episode with our inbox question for you guys. Since this was a whole episode of inbox questions, um, we have an inbox question for you to answer in our Facebook group. So what is one thing that you learned from our podcaster community that made your design business better? see what we did there. (laughs) We'll make a little graphic for our Facebook group. Go ahead and jump in, answer that question, share with your design friends. So much sharing has gone on. So many stories that we've been able to add to our little highlights. Um, So many more that we haven't been able to get to, but just thank you guys so, so much.
0: Yeah. We wouldn't be here without you guys and we do this for you. So <laughs> let us know what, what you love and what you want to hear more
1: of Absolutely, and we'll see you next season. Woohoo! See you next season. Bye guys. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple podcasts. We bet you've got designer friends who'd enjoy it too. So share it with them. If you'd like to submit an
0: inbox question for us to answer on air or want to get in contact with us directly or are interested in a
1: guest interview slot, reach out at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. There are so many amazing conversations happening inside our Facebook community. We'd love to hang out with you in there. Search for Better the Brand Designer podcast to join us. And visit us
0: online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and each other.